When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to Wellness with Liz O, where today we are slipping between the sheets to learn all about the importance of organic cotton, both for ourselves and for the farmers who produce it and the wider impact that this all has on our environment at large. And I'm very delighted to be joined here by Rebecca Winkworth, a founder of the Irish organic cotton brand, White and Green. And Rebecca, you're so welcome here in my little studios. And I guess my first question to you has to be, why organic cotton? And you are a young slip of a thing. What set you off on this journey to source it? Okay, so it started several years ago. My first profession is as a singer and I was traveling all over the world, um, primarily through Asia, so China, Japan, and I started to um, question why some countries had developed so much quicker than others and especially, you know, the um, resource-rich countries were economically poorer than um, vice versa and I realized that you know, the international um, trading system is quite unequal between developed and developing worlds. And then I said, I'm going to park the singing career for a while and go and study development. And through my academic studies, I became very passionate about the textiles industry, in particular cotton. Mm. Um, As you know, cotton is the world's most important non-food crop. Um, We consume over 24 million tonnes annually. But it's also a highly um, polluting crop. It uses over 25% of the world's uh, pesticides. So this, as I learned more and more about cotton, I became a little bit worried about how myself as a consumer, about how I was contributing to this really um, environmentally damaging industry. Mm. And then on the other side, we also have cotton being known as um, white gold, an industry renowned for slavery, for, um, you know, child labor, bondage, um, unsafe working conditions, because 99% of the world's cotton farmers are in developing countries. They don't have a voice. They don't have power. Um, And so I said, if I'm going to go into development, I wanted to be in cotton. And then with my mother and my sister, we decided, well, let's create a beautiful brand of bed linen that's also ethical and sustainable. So 100% cotton bed sheets. And that's where it all began two and a half years ago. My goodness, what a journey. Well, that (laughs) is an extraordinary 
complex answer to a very simple question and all credit to you that you started as a young singer and then you took that from your travels mm. and you studied international development and then obviously focused in on the cotton. Yeah. I'm interested in what you say about cotton being referred to as white gold. Mm -hmm. Is that something within the, the farming community that they call that or is that the, the, the traders refer to it as white gold? It's historically renowned as white gold, so the whole slave trade, you know. Um, but sadly, today we still see remnants of um, this in countries like India, where a huge number, millions of people are reliant on the cotton industry. Is that where most of cotton comes from, from India still? Yes, primarily. But we also have a lot of cotton grown in America. But it's a completely different type of cotton industry because they're large scale farmers, highly technical, using a lot of machinery and equipment. The farmers in India are smallholder farmers. We're looking at two hectares maximum per person, a whole family of people relying on this small plot of land, highly labor intensive. Um, and obviously they don't have access to the same amount of credit. Um, equipment, research and development. So it's a completely different way of managing cotton. Um, in the United States, for example, the government also highly subsidizes the cotton industry. So farmers are able to sell their cotton even at a cheaper price than the Indian farmers can. Gosh, so it's all being undercut. Exactly. So if you were a farmer in India and you've got your two hectares of land... You presumably you're farming that all by hand mm -hmm. and you've got all members of the family working on that. Are you growing food crops alongside that as well? So you're growing food to eat? So traditionally they would have had their food crops and they can obviously sustain their families and the whole community on these food crops and then make money mm -hmm. off cotton. Then because of, you know, this increased consumption in in Europe and in North America primarily for clothing for bed sheets for for textiles in general smallholder farmers in India for example started to focus more and more and more on the cash crop of cotton and so they completely veered away from food crops and then they're not actually able to sustain themselves and then what happens when there's a crash or when the market is volatile for cotton they don't have an income and they also can't buy And they food. don't have any food because they haven't grown any. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting to hear and, and terrifying uh, to hear that 25% of the world's pesticide consumption goes into producing cotton. Is that mostly in the developing world in, in India or is that both India and America? It's widespread. Is it? Absolutely, yeah. Is it the same type of cotton that's being grown in both nations? Cotton is an amazing crop and there are hundreds, if not thousands, I don't have the correct number of varieties of, of cotton. Um, and in India, where we work, there are amazing indigenous types of cotton, which are actually different colours. I've seen pink cotton. I've seen um, green cotton bulls, but more and more um, as the industry becomes ever more globalized and seeds maybe are coming from America into, into India, you see uh, a lesser number of cotton varieties being grown. So sadly, that is dying out. But the people that we work with, the cooperatives that we work with in India are trying to reignite the local varieties of mm. cotton because that's what grows best in the local ecosystems. 
Interesting that you talk about seeds because that obviously brings in the whole question of GM mm -hmm. and the genetically modified crop of cotton. Cotton is one of the few licensed global GM seed products. How has that impacted the developing world? Genetically modified seeds I find quite worrying um, because it impacts the supply chain in, this, in a few different ways. We see a lot more middlemen selling the genetically modified seeds to smallholder farmers. So um, they go into these rural areas and they say, we have these fantastic seeds that are going to increase your yield by, you know, fivefold in the, in the course of one year. And, you know, obviously the That's farming very tempting of course mm. you know i can have more money for less work mm. what's not to like about that offer these middlemen then say well in order for the these seeds to grow you also have to buy these chemical fe uh, fertilizers these chemical pesticides which the farmers never needed before using their local types of cotton and using their organic um, ways of farming. So traditionally they would grow them without the use of synthetic chemicals. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. And so then what happens? They've got these GM seeds and they need all of these other inputs, but they don't have the money. But don't worry, says the middleman, I'll give you credit. So you can have all of these inputs and you pay me back in a year's time, when in two years' time. you've sold your five times crop. Exactly. Okay, yeah, I can With see a percentage that. Mm -hmm. interest. Right. So it sounds like a no-brainer. The deal is a win-win for everybody. But sadly, maybe after the third year of these GM seeds, the soil fertility declines, amongst many other worrying things that also happen. For example, the chemical fertilizers and pesticides start to, to poison the water systems in these local villages and they're poisoning people. But aside from that, the yield declines and the quality of the cotton also declines because the ecosystem just can't take all of these inputs. And the cotton, the, the cotton farmers are left with um, no crops to sell. And, well, indeed, less income anyway. Mm. And then and a load of debt, presumably, of debt. from buying all the chemicals. A horrible amount of debt. And for a lot of these cotton farmers, the only escape they see is sadly to take their own lives and it's not a small amount of people that we're talking about here in India 300,000 farmers many of whom are, are cotton farmers in the past 30 years have taken their lives good heavens and they leave behind families destitute because then they have no debt they have the burden of shame no provider mm -hmm. no income it's 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 terrible it's and it's, is that on the increase Oh, gosh. Um, I'm not sure because thankfully I don't work right. with non-organic and non-fair okay. trade farmers. Yes. So I, I focus on the positives now when right. I work with people that have, have, with the help of our cooperatives, moved over to non, sorry, to organic um, mm -hmm. farming and to fair trade farming, where thankfully they can plan for their futures. They can mm. send their children to school. And they're healthier and happier all around. Mm. So, um, so tell us the difference then. So you you chose to have both organic and fair trade, and these are two quite different certifications, aren't they? When when you're buying cotton, they are they are different certifications. So for organic cotton, um, it's it's it is certainly more labour intensive. 
because you're not relying on these chemicals to get rid of the bugs, the pests. Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily an issue in a developing country where you have a lot of labour exactly. looking for work. Exactly, exactly. So it's actually a great way of, of creating employment in marginalised communities. So organic cotton, you know, it's all tested and everything at the co-op and then it's actually sold on for a premium, which is great. So the farmers are earning more money. With no inputs. Exactly. Mm. And even then through to our factory, all of the dyes that are used are organic and they're constantly striving to be as as environmentally friendly mm. as possible. So waste reduction, you know, even reducing their electricity use and everything like that. So polluting water supplies, which are obviously scarce anyway and need to be protected. Exactly. And even the packaging that we that we use with our factory is um, degradable. Mm -hmm. um, and then moving on to the fair trade certificate, that is a wonderful way of rebalancing power. So when somebody goes into a shop, whether it be tea or coffee, you're probably paying, paying the same price for a fair trade uh, product, but you know that the money is being redirected so that the producers are earning that little bit more that actually is so valuable for mm. them and being in terms of planning for their future. Um, so we pay as a... Uh, as a brand, we pay a certain percentage above yes. the usual price to our supplier. Which so I know because I have a jewellery line and that's fair trade gold. Absolutely. And that works in exactly the same way that we pay an additional premium. I think it's 10% over the market rate mm -hmm. um, of what they would normally get from selling on the open market. And that 10% goes into a community fund which is then managed usually by um, a sort of a voted group of the elders of the community who then take that money every year and use it as a pot mm. of funding to provide some health care or put in a borehole for clean water or build a new school building or something like that. So is that working in a similar way with fair trade cotton? Yes, it's fantastic. And when I was last in India... Um, in our factory, the workers had decided that they all wanted new pots and pans. Excellent. So that's where I'm, our money was going. Uh, sometimes that, it but... might be for a wedding or whatever, you yeah. know, they need at that time. Yeah, um, I remember working with uh, fair trade gold miners in Peru and they wanted a football field. Wow. Um, and it's not really a field, it was mm -hmm. just a pitch, just a marked out football area. Um, because there was nothing for the for the young people to do in the evenings. And, of course, it's a great form of fitness mm -hmm. and it was a local sport and they created teams and they've got the community spirit and um, and they just needed that little bit of funding to help them, you know, set it up and to buy footballs. And um, I think they're probably even, you know, playing barefoot. I mean, it's really, really low key, but something as simple as that will make a huge difference and, and can really help transform communities um, and, and give them access to something that we would all just take for granted. Yes, and it does guarantee safe working environments and mm. a minimum wage. Yes, and, and no child labour exactly. because, I mean, that's the other big thing, isn't it? Are you finding in traditional rural environments of farming that there's a lot of child labour that goes on? There's a frightening amount of child labour. I worked as a teacher a voluntary teacher in India a few years ago and saw that firsthand my students disappeared at a certain time of the year and I couldn't figure out where they had gone I inquired a little bit and realized it was harvest season it was cotton harvest season mm. and you know the kids had to go home and help their families and what age were the children mm, from eight to twelve eight Gosh, yeah that is young because I know there is this um 
dilemma really when we talk about child labour and people say oh you know you mustn't have anybody under 18 you know working in a commercial situation I think we have to remember that sometimes in developing countries there is no education after the age of say 10 or 12 and therefore the, the only option the only viable option to, to survive and to create living and to actually put food in your tummy is to go back and work on the family farm because mm. there is no education. Obviously, younger than that, then you're taking kids out of school education. What's the education system mm. like in India? They have free primary education. Do they? That's yeah, good. all the way up so to that's 12. Up to 12, mm. okay. So you obviously want to make sure that those 8 to 12-year-olds are staying in education and not being called back to, to pick cotton. Absolutely. And then, sadly, for women in India, once they hit the age of 13 their families start to think about marrying them off because their burdens out of the question then exactly. anyway they they leave school exactly and is that still very much the case absolutely it really is i mean several of my students were engaged at the age of 12 or 13 to a distant cousin out in the in the countryside and they were counting down the days until they would be sent away gosh and how old will the cousins be were they probably only a to... few years older okay, now so was, they weren't being married off to much older uh, men no because that's often an increasing problem or something that we're increasingly aware of. I, I, I follow a few groups actually on Twitter who, um, there's one in particular, I think it's called Children Not Brides. Mm. And it's it's really highlighting um, the impact of and the scale of young women and girls, really, you can't even call them women, young young girls, sometimes as young as eight, being married off to, to much older women. But even 13, I mean, I, I shudder, I, I have a 16-year-old daughter and I'm you know, trying to imagine you know, marrying her off, um, let alone at the age of, of 13. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Fair Trade Organisation, does that play any part in that? Do they get involved with a wider sense of education and child rights and women's issues? To my knowledge, not so much. They focus on auditing our farms and Mm -hmm. our factories, but they do carry out very valuable women's empowerment workshops, for Mm -hmm. example. Um, So in our farming communities, they do have um, weekly sessions where they bring together the 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 female uh, cotton farmers and teach them how to plan their household finances, for example, or how to have more of a voice in the community, how to stand up to the men Mm. (laughs) and be heard. Um, In terms of the children's education, we do put money in a pot that goes towards educational facilities. Mm. But the government in India is very pro-education. I'm not so sure about how it works in other countries. Uh, Fair Trade are a fantastic uh, organisation and, um, yeah, we're very proud to work with them. Mm. I was really struck by something that you said right in the beginning and that is highlighting the fact that we get these countries that are so rich in resources, natural resources, whether you're talking about cotton, for example, in India, or, you know, you can look at um, precious metals and mining in in Africa, and yet they are so impoverished Mm. compared to the rest of the world. You know, is there that sense of exploitation from outside sources? We could probably study this for years and not come up with a solid answer as to why it is this way, but... I do believe that there's an element of bullying in the trading system. So we have these big, huge organizations whose buying power is completely, um, is completely, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, well, the unmatched. Is enormous. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So they come into uh, a factory, for example, again in India, and they say, we need this amount of produce made by this day can you do it for us and and can you do it at this price Mm. because the consumers in Europe want fast fashion and it has to be disposable Mm. and it has to be cheap and if the factory turns away and says we can't do it for that price because it's going to involve exploitation of our workers it's going to involve pulling child labor in because they're the only cheap sources of labor that we can afford if they say this then that business is just going to turn around and go to another factory or another else. country. Yeah. So it's a catch-22. Mm. I've, I've covered this actually in the magazine, talking to a very dear, great friend of mine, Livia Firth, okay. who is a passionate campaigner against fast fashion. And she talks a lot about this, um, and especially after the Rani Plaza disaster, um, killing so many factory workers and just the impact of fast fashion and her thing actually is 30 wares you know you've got to have at least 30 wares from from fashion and this whole idea of disposable fashion 
and and let's think about the cost and the human impact behind it. And I think it's interesting with you because your line is obviously not fashion, it's bed linen. Mm. And that's something that we tend to buy as an investment anyway. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm still using the same bed linen that, you know, I was probably gifted as wedding presents. You know, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that if you buy good quality, then it, it does have a, a much longer lasting life. But how do you find as a manufacturer and a, and a brand, you've obviously chosen to buy organic and fair trade. What does that do to your costing? How much extra is that adding on? It does certainly mean that we pay more for our products to begin mm-hmm. with significantly we, more um not so much that's going to put us out of business i don't yeah. have a percentage right now right but, but it's enough to make your end product that bit more expensive no we make sure that we just take a lesser margin in really? the middle than other companies would bed linen is an industry renowned for huge markups and so by us being less greedy in the middle isn't that interesting i didn't know that yes um, we can manage to that. keep it affordable for people. So if you go into a high street store and you find other really high quality brands, you will find that they're double the price mm. of of us and they're not organic and they're not fair trade. So we're just trying to disrupt the whole system. I love that. You're What a great disruptor. Okay, so go. <laughs> white and Green, that's yeah. your brand. Why did you choose White and Green? Was that, were you influenced by my other great friend, who Joe Fairley, who started Green and Blacks in the chocolate? Oh, <laughs> we hadn't even thought of that, though. I really? do love that chocolate. I absolutely <laughs> love it. White, I suppose, is the colour of bed sheets. It's yeah. the colour of our range. Um, but it's also a trustworthy colour, a transparent and honest yeah, colour. purity. Mm. And then green, of course, is the colour for the environment, mm. for nature and for fair trade. Yeah. So it came about through a friend uh, having a chat with us over a cup of tea and a biscuit. And um, it was it was not something that we had planned for months on end. It just was a natural... That's always you know, the best way. It. I find the, the best brand names and the best business rationales often come from those sometimes late night chats over more than a biscuit Um, and then as long as you make notes and write it down and check it in the morning you find that you've come up with with a bit of gold so I think that what you're doing is obviously amazing and I think the fair trade and the organic is something that we should all be looking out for what else should we be looking out for on a practical level when we're buying cotton can you explain some of these terms like thread count Mm. what does that mean thread count is Kind of a marketing ploy. Okay, now that you're another exposer here, I'm loving this. (laughs) Thread count is how many strands of cotton can we have weaved this direction and then this direction. So So vertical and horizontal weaving. Exactly, exactly. So if we say 300 thread count, that means we have 150 degrees, uh, sorry, threads vertically and then 150 threads horizontally. Makes 300. Per what? Per Per square inch. Per square inch. Okay. That or, sounds a lot. 300 or, or is that? Um, no, ours is 300. It's a really nice, soft feeling, durable, mm-hmm. easy to wash. You can go right up to 1200. Per but, inch? Uh, yes. And does that make it finer or thicker? How does that work? It depends on the quality of the cotton to begin with. So this is okay. where it becomes a little bit difficult to understand. Technically, you could say that something is 600 thread count when you've just taken two short pieces of cotton and almost like a little girl's plait in her hair, you twist them all together and then you call it a higher number of threads in that little area. 
Um, and then like a girl's plat when she goes to bed or, you know, she goes out to do sport or whatever, it, it starts. Frizzy. Exactly. It and that's what pilling mind. is. It's when oh. the ends of these threads start to pop out. Where is it? So when buying bed linen, I would say pay less attention to the thread count and find out more about the quality and, and the provenance of the how would we know that? How, how would we... You know, do you, you don't get it labelled like a fine wine. It doesn't give you the terroir of the cotton and Sadly the variety not. even of the plant. You were saying how many hundreds, if not thousands, mm. of different species of cotton. Do you think we'll get to a stage where people will want to know the, the provenance of the cotton plant? Maybe. That would be fantastic. I mean, I would say look for organic and fair trade because that's already telling you it's a premium product. But the interesting thing is Egyptian cotton is what everyone always asks us for. Yes. Do you do Egyptian cotton? There are severe droughts happening in that part of the world and there's actually a severe shortage of Egyptian cotton. And so technically you can call something, well, not 100%, you can say it's Egyptian cotton and it only has a very uh, small percentage of Egyptian cotton so in it. So it'll be mixed in, the Egyptian exactly. cotton fibre. And is it different? Is it is it a finer quality fibre? It is a beautiful quality of fibre. It's just a different variety of cotton. And is it only grown in Egypt? Or is it, no, is it's it, been it, exported all around the world. Okay, so you can get Egyptian cotton that's grown in India exactly. or America, wherever. Yes. I see. And is it more expensive? Yes, it to should buy be. It? It should, what, because it's more difficult to grow? Or because there should be less yield? of it, I suppose. I see. Demand. So, but you can just mix a little bit in and then say... Unless the laws change at the moment, that's the way it is. Mm. Okay, so having a little bit of Egyptian cotton fibre is good or I guess it if, something, if something has 100% Egyptian cotton? Well, that's fantastic if you can find 100% Egyptian cotton. Okay. But there is a shortage of it, so you do have to look closely at the label. And what about linen? People talk about linen sheets. Mm. And Ireland, of course, is renowned for linen. Yes. Um, it's a totally different feeling and some people absolutely love the it's feeling of heavy, linen. It's yeah. It's quite weighty. It is, so it's... I prefer to sleep on cotton. And now we have silk as well. People sleep on silk sheets. It's mm. just down to preference. And bamboo. Yes, bamboo is fantastic. That. that seems quite eco, doesn't it? Quite sustainable. Yes. Interesting what you talk about Egypt and the water drought, because I know through talking to Livia that um, the cotton industry is a huge user of water. Mm. Yeah, it, a lot no, of it water absolutely that, that is. It's involved in the processing of, of cotton. Yeah. So I guess if you're using cotton that doesn't have the pesticide residues on it, is that better for the water supply? Yes. So there are two parts to this answer. Uh, we use, first of all, we use less water for organic cotton. And it's smarter use of the water as well, because there's all of our co-ops have a huge amount of research and development into how to you know, put the water in the places where it's most needed. And then, of course, you're keeping the, the water supply so much healthier by not polluting it. Because people are poisoned. Um, people are drinking from these water supplies and they are poisoned. And you can see this physically when you go to these communities. It's mm. not pretty. And and um, skin disease and migraines and shortage of breath and all of these illnesses are real effects of polluting our ecosystems and our water supplies with these toxic chemicals. So it's not just the pesticides being used in the growing, it's also the polluting of the water supplies used in the processing yes. and the manufacture of the 
of the cotton? Because does it all happen in India? You go out and you pick the cotton and then presumably from all these different small holdings, everything is bundled together and it goes off to a general factory where you have another group of workers who are sorting it and and, yeah. and weaving it, basically, for, for want of a, mm. a better technical term. Does it all happen there and do you actually get your sheets, your finished product made in India and then it comes to, to you in Ireland? Yes, for us, everything is made in India. I absolutely love dealing with our suppliers over there. They're fantastic people. Their English is wonderful, which is mm. great for us in terms of business. Um, they're so welcoming and generous every time we come to visit them. And so it just makes sense. Go with the experts. Indians are renowned for their weaving expertise. They've been doing it for centuries. Yes. So we have everything done over there. It would be fantastic to look into having some products made in Ireland or the UK, for example. But right now, it's not what we're doing with our company. Mm, and the expertise is there Yes, on site. You talk about your company. Now, your company is your mother, your sister and you. Is that right? Yes. So how did that start? I mean, it didn't just start with your travels, did it? No, I had this idea that I wanted to go into ethical fashion or ethical business of some kind. And my mom at the same time has been an interior designer for, um, I won't say how many years, she'll kill me, a long time, and realized that the one product she couldn't find easily on the market was a trustworthy brand of bed linen. Mm. So something that didn't cost a huge amount of money, mm. that could be washed time and time again, that ironed easily, that fitted well, you know, and that lasted. Mm. All those practical things that mums especially are perhaps more aware of. Exactly. And especially buying for her clients, you know, mm. it was embarrassing if she went and, and bought a product that then didn't, didn't do as well in person as it did in the packaging. It looks great in the shelves and the stores mm. and then you take it out and it just, it's it's not as nice at all. So she said, I, I'm going to fix this. She's a, a great entrepreneurial spirit. I have an idea. I'm going to solve it. And then I'm going to bring you on board. She said this to my sister and I, and it's going to be organic and fair trade. And together we do make a good team. I'm sure you know that family business is difficult and fantastic as well. No, it's great. Well, we're sitting here recording with my eldest daughter, Lily, who's my digital editor. And I love it, actually. I love that connection of, of, of being the sort of the older mum who passes down, hopefully, some of the wisdom and experience. Um, but I think there's something also very energising and engaging about working with the younger generation. And I'm you know, speaking on behalf of your mother here, but I'm sure she probably finds that that energy and vitality that you bring, particularly from your sourcing right in the beginning, from mm. your singing travels and then bringing back this enthusiasm and this zeal and passion and this campaigning mentality that you young millennials have that I think have so much to offer um, us oldies when it comes to, to brand building. And that's the strength of it. And I think family-run businesses can have that enormous advantage um, when you when you share that knowledge across the generations. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I, I've always had many ideas and many issues with different things that I wanted to solve, but I didn't have the bravery to mm. take that risk. And my mum has been a role model in that sense. She says, there's nothing in life that you can't achieve. So if you have a problem with something, go and fix it. If we want to create a beautiful brand of ethical bedlin, we're going to go and do it. I would sometimes see the barriers in life where she doesn't see those barriers. And so together we do make a fantastic team. Fantastic. And it's lovely to spend that much time with your family. 
It really is. Well, I wish you well. It's lovely to have you here, Rebecca. Thank you so much. You. Huge success to all three of you and for everything that you're doing at White and Green. And if you'd like the podcast notes from today's show, you simply have to head over to lizawellbeing.com where they are free and easy to download. Just make sure that you've signed up to our website to gain free access to all the extra content. And don't worry about that. We will never spam you or sell your data. We're just building a lovely wellbeing community and a trusted resource. And we will put all the details of everything that we've talked about today and where to go for more information, information and facts about fair trade, organic, white and green, and how to buy the very best in bed linen. Well, that's it from me, Lizelle, for this time. I do hope you're enjoying the series and I very much look forward to being in your ear again soon. So until then, go well and bye-bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter pretty litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness it's the world's smartest kitty litter Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.